And now it's time for the Celebrity Spot with Lori G and her special guest.
and uh, I was meeting other disabled people both in the segregated elementary school and I was going to summer camp with other disabled people. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we were as disabled younger people and parents who were fighting to get us an education so we could grow up and get a job and, you know, be active in the community. They had to do so much advocacy. So for me, it just became something that was natural. My friends and I really, as we were getting older, were basically deciding we wanted to do more than complain about the problem. Problems, because there were many. And we really wanted to look at solutions. So that's really how I got involved at a necessity. I can definitely relate to your story about getting into regular school because when I was younger, my parents did the exact same thing as your parents because the public school that I was supposed to go to didn't allow me to go to that school at first because they didn't want to quote unquote make a ramp in the school and they made excuses like, oh, she has an EpiPen. She can't go to the school. So my parents were like, no, we need to get an advocate. So they got an advocate and we eventually won. And I went to my home school and thanks to you, yeah, I I got to go to my homeschool, which I loved. I mean, I think it's not just because of me, but many, many, many other people, including your parents, you yes. know? I mean, I think had your parents, like my parents, I mean, that's mm-hmm. really the correlation. Your parents came from, your father came from Cuba. Yes. Your mother's family was from Cuba. Um, my parents came from Germany during the Holocaust. And so mm-hmm. I think one of the things that was going on with your family and mine is that they thought that the system would respond appropriately. Right. And when it didn't, they had to make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. Your parents and my parents, were they just going to accept what was being given? And in your case, in my case, the answer was no. Although in your case, because there were so many laws already in place, your parents had, you know, more on their side. But I think nonetheless, what's unfortunate, unfortunate is that this was happening in like, what, 1997, 1998 Mm -hmm. for you? Yeah. For me, it was 1953 or something. Mm -hmm. And so really um, very sad to see that some of the same problems, in spite of the laws, are still happening. Yes. So you have two books. One is called Being Human, and the other one is called Rolling Royer. I have them here. Being Human and Rolling Royer, which I love. (laughs) So Being Human is the adult version. Okay. And then Rolling Warrior is for young adults. Yes. How are they different and how are they the same? They're, They're basically very similar. Okay. But the young adult version, there was an advisory group of young adults, mostly with disabilities, 
And so the formatting is different. Some of the, the chapter names are different. The layout is different. The language is a little bit different. And there are pictures in the younger version, not in the older version. And I think, you know, it's um, it really, the youth version is focused on youth. So students right. like 10 to 15 years old. But in both cases, it's really intended to let people learn about my story. And that's what I think, you know, books and podcasts and things are very important for because sharing our stories, which is why you started doing your podcast, is really important. Being role models for other people so that other disabled people and non-disabled people can learn about who we are Mm -hmm. and equally importantly, learn about the struggles that we've had to deal with and how we've been addressing them. Which is your favorite chapter? there from both books no i mean i I like i I like the books the whole book so Mm -hmm. but i what i like not so much particular chapters but uh i i wrote this book in conjunction with another woman named Kristen, uh and uh Kristen and i spent a lot of time uh working together Mm -hmm. and um looking at ways that the various stories that i highlight would be things that both disabled and non-disabled people could relate to and Kristen Joyner and I didn't know each other before we started working on the book. So, and she didn't know that much about disability. Mm-hmm. So it really was a great opportunity for um, her to learn. And I had never worked with an author. So it was really great to um, both be sharing my story, her writing skills, and continuing to really massage uh, these stories. I think hopefully present something that uh, many readers can appreciate. The book is also, both of the books are also out on audio. And so people can get, people can get the audio versions. Now, for people who don't know, what is Crip Camp the film about? So Crip Camp, people can see on Netflix or um, on YouTube. And as you mentioned in the beginning, it was nominated for an Academy Award. Yes. It's won many, many different awards. Yes. At Peabody being one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. I think what is very powerful about the film, first of all, the vision of the film came from a gentleman named uh, Jim Lebrecht. I call him Jimmy. Jimmy Lebrecht. Jimmy himself was born with spina bifida. He did go to regular schools, but he wanted, was interested in going to a camp with other disabled people. And so he went to this camp called Camp Jeanette. I had already been going to that camp for a number of years in the summer uh, that Jimmy came. I was a counselor. I encourage people to see the film because it is a documentary and it really gives people, I think, a good understanding of what was going on in the early 70s through 2016-17 or 18 when the filming stopped. Mm -hmm. And it allows people to really learn about disabled people, the fight that we had for various pieces of legislation. And I think one of the important parts of the film is it allows people to see the strength of the disability community and how over the years we were really learning how to come together to fight for our rights. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And there's a scene where I forgot who said it, but in Camp Jeanette, they said that it was basically Woodstock for people with disabilities. Is that true? (laughs) 
Well, Jimmy said that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I think it was true in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that is that, um, you know, it uh, it was an overnight camp. Right. Not a day camp. You know, being in an overnight camp is different than a day camp because we, we were, people were there for four weeks or eight weeks. Um, and I was there um, one year for four weeks and then a couple other years for eight weeks. And obviously wow. uh, in 1971, when the footage was taken um, of the camp, Mm-hmm. I worked there for eight weeks. Oh, wow. So it was, it, it was an opportunity for younger disabled people to be together, to learn from each other, yeah. to do things that we might not have been able to do back in our own communities when we were living with our families, mm-hmm. but basically doing things that other teenagers were doing yeah. because they could drive, they could take a bus. Mm-hmm. Most of the people are from New York City, mm-hmm. right? But because New York City at that time in the 70s didn't have accessible transportation and didn't have curb cuts. Yeah, so camp was really an opportunity to grow. I just love the film. Thank you. You're welcome. What was it like being a part of the Oscars? Oh, the Oscars were amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was COVID, you know, so yes. um, we had to be tested before we left okay. to go to California. We had to be tested the day after we arrived and we had to be tested oh the day God. of the event. And so they were really, we had to wear masks, you know, um, unlike Florida, mm-hmm. it was very strict. And we also had to show a vaccination cards. Oh, wow. So, um, which is becoming much more prevalent in the D.C. area. You have to show your card. Okay. Get into places. But it was, it was great because I never expected to be able to go Mm -hmm. because of COVID and the numbers were very restricted. The people who were invited to go for the films were the directors and the producer. So Jimmy Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan were the directors and Sarah Boulder was the producer. And then they each got to invite one person. And so I was one of the people that was invited. And I was very, you know, it was amazing. Um, I had clothing that was uh, designed by a company in New York and um, they did an amazing job. And um, the people were great. The hotel, we stayed in a Marriott. It was really, it was all like, even though we had to basically stay in the hotel most of the time, Mm -hmm. um, going to the Oscars was very exciting. The numbers were very much smaller than normal. But, you know, Mark Arian, New York City, was the company that designed my clothes. And they sent out a photographer and there was an article written about it. And all that was very different. And it was really wonderful to be a part of the group because Jimmy uses a wheelchair. I use a wheelchair. A woman named Andrea Levant was the other person who was has been running the impact campaign mm-hmm. for Crip Camp and her dog and uh, Sarah and Nicole. And it was the first time ever that there were um, people using motorized wheelchairs who had been nominated or were in the film mm-hmm. that had been nominated. And unfortunately, we didn't win that award. 
But nonetheless, we did win because we were in the top five. Yeah. And, and the film has gotten many, many other awards. Mm-hmm. I really encourage everybody to either um, go to Netflix and watch. It's called Crip Camp, C-R-I-P-C-A-M-P, um, or get it on YouTube. It's a full-length film. I completely recommend it. It's amazing. And walking down the red carpet, how did you feel? I felt very um, gratified. Mm-hmm. I really felt like, you know, there's some changes, not nearly enough yet on representation of disabled people in media. But right. I really felt that Netflix and Higher Ground, which is the Obama production company, mm-hmm. and Jimmy and Nicole and Sarah and a guy named Howard um, had done an amazing job. And I felt very proud to be a part of the of the documentary. I didn't win the T-Bag no, Award. The, the film. The film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only reason I say that is, yeah. you know, Jimmy and Nicole and Sarah and all the others who made the film did an amazing job. You know, I'm one of the voices in the film. As I said, I'm very happy that I was able to be in the film. And of course, we were all very proud about getting the Peabody and the multiple other awards and being nominated uh, for an Academy was amazing, you know, equally amazing. And so, you know, I felt and feel very proud of the work that they all did in coming up with the idea and raising the money and doing the amazing work that they had to do in filming and gathering information from archives in editing. I mean, it was a very labor intensive job and I think they did an amazing job. How many years did it take? Them about, let's see, in four years, four or five oh years. Oh gosh, that's insane. You know, from the beginning of its inception. Well, it was well worth it. <laughs> the way I saw that there might be a movie in the making of your life. What can you tell us about that? So there is a movie that's going to be made from the book. Okay. It's just in the beginning phase, but it's been bought by Apple. So Apple will, yeah. And the woman who's going to be the director, writer, is a woman named Sean Heder. And she, um, your audience may have seen or wish to see, it's called Coda, C-O-D-A, Child of a Deaf Adult um, with Marley Matlin. Yes. And so uh, Sean is going to be directing and writing uh, our film. I don't know what the name of it's going to be yet. It's not, we're just starting the writing phase of it. Mm-hmm. So I presume it'll be, you know, one to two years before it comes out. Oh my out. gosh, that's so exciting though. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very honored. Yes. You have to let me know if you guys are going to have like a red carpet or anything. I want to be a part of it. <laughs> well, we have to get the film made. Yes. It has to, <laughs> and it has to get nominated for things. And then hopefully if it does, you'll know about it. Yeah, I'll know about it. <laughs> How did you get your idea for your podcast to whom the human perspective? Yes, the human Well, I decided I had worked in the Obama administration. And when uh, Hillary Clinton was not elected president, I, I'm a Democrat, and uh, I had a what's called a political job. Yes. So it was a regular job. I worked very hard. I was the special advisor for international disability rights at the Department of State. Mm-hmm. But when the Democrats lost, my job ended. And so I set up a company called Judith Human LLC. 
and I decided that I was interested in doing more social media, not that I was an expert in it. And so I was able to get some people together to work with me and we started The Human Perspective in 2017. We started out as um, uh, YouTube, Facebook Live, and then this, that was 2017. And this year um, in about April, we decided that we would start doing podcasts. So we do podcasts twice a month and um, then also the podcasts, which are about 40, 45 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, get edited down for YouTube. They're so informative, but like has a fun twist to it. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to become their advocate for themselves that have a disability but doesn't know how? Well, I think people know how. Yes. I think people... I think we need to give people more credit. I think frequently it's important to be working with other people because sometimes things that we're trying to do can be scary doing it by ourselves. But, you know, I'm sure there've been many times when you've advocated for yourself on the the spot where someone has said you could or couldn't do something and um, that you wanted to do. And I'm quite confident that you know how to speak up for yourself. So what I think is important also is we have to believe in ourselves. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to know what we want for ourselves. Not that it's not going to change, not that we're going to get everything we want or when we want it. Those are all things that are not solely disability related. But I think it's important to belong to disability rights organizations, uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to talk to friends with and without disabilities if we feel that something is happening incorrectly that we want to deal with. And I think it's important to try not to feel ashamed. And, you know, believing in ourselves, working with other disabled people who believe in themselves. It's kind of like, you know, the Latino movement, the black movement, the gender movement, the women's movement, the disability rights movement. We um, frequently need the support from other people, but it's also important that we set limits of what we will allow other people to do to us and not. You know, so for me, it's anything from a restaurant many years ago go telling me that friends of mine who were wheelchair users couldn't eat in the restaurant and they were trying to throw us out. And so I said, are you serious? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm serious. And I said, we'll call the police. So they didn't. Yeah. And I wasn't going to walk out. I didn't want to give them our money. But on the other hand, I wasn't going to leave. So we ate there. Um, And and other incidences like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, when I tried to be a teacher and I was denied my license because I couldn't walk. I was lucky to be able to find some attorneys and I sued the Board of Education and I got my license. So, you know, they're they're two, a little thing and a big thing. But I think it's very important that, you know, we we know what it is that we want and that we grow because that's as we, for me, you know, as I got older, I learned more and the more knowledge and expertise I had, the more I felt confident in what I was trying to do and that I didn't want to do it alone. I wanted to do it with other people who had similar vision and similar experience, similar forms of discrimination. I completely agree. Last question. Okay. (laughs) Where can my listeners find you on social media? They can go to Spotify Mm -hmm. or to Apple. Uh, They can look for The Human Perspective, H-E-U-M-A-N-N. And they can look me up 
on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Spotify. No, no, sorry. Instagram. <laughs> you can tell I'm older. It's okay. It happens. It happens to yeah. me a lot, too. It's, like, yeah. it's, it's not just you. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you, Lori. So nice to meet you, too. I hope you all enjoyed that interview. I had a blast making it, and I want to take a moment and say thank you to Judy Human for coming on the show. It was truly a dream come true for me. Definitely a moment that I'll always remember. I'm super grateful and honored that she even gave me this opportunity. I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making this episode for you guys. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this channel and subscribe to my other channel. For example, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud. Don't forget to leave a comment under this video. Let me know what you think about this episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio, please leave a review and rate this episode. It would truly mean a lot to me. With that being said, this has been The Celebrity Spot. I'm your host, Lori G. Celebrity Spot with Lori G and her special guest.